Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, everybody. Just a note from me, Rhiannon, to say that my new supplements company, Hurrah, is finally here. It's taken years to get this off the ground. Retrition Plus is evidence-based, rooted in science, focused on you, and we offer vitamin D sprays, folic acid spray, and a vegan multivitamin. So head over to retritionplus.com for supplements you can finally trust. Hello! Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's Food for Thought. This is the podcast that's on a mission and it's going to equip you with all of the evidence-based advice that you need to live and breathe a healthy lifestyle. I'm Rhiannon Lambert, registered nutritionist, Sunday Times best-selling author of The Science of Nutrition. Please go check out my new book. I think it will help a lot of people out there. And founder of Retrition, London's leading private nutrition clinic. Now, in each of the 12 episodes, I'll be joined by guests, all of whom are experts in their field, which is wonderful. So together, we can all learn fact from fiction and empower the healthiest and happiest versions of ourselves with trusted experts advice. We can't always rely on the externals for their dependable highs and so with this we have to look internally to what we can do for ourselves. Now this may sound difficult and while goal setting and striving to be our very best can be useful we do also need to learn to strive for a state of tranquility to reach true happiness This has been an incredible episode to record with a wonderful, wonderful guest. So this week's Food for Thought sees positive psychology lecturer and New York Times best-selling author Tal Ben-Shahar and I unearth what true happiness actually is and how we can achieve this. Hello, Tal. Hello, hello. Very good to be here. (laughs) Very good to have you. I could not believe it when you said yes to coming on this podcast. I think um, everyone here right now in the UK needs needs to hear what you have to say because I think happiness is it's just a need, isn't it? I think it's an innate need for humans. So why is it so tough? <laughs> well, you know, um, it's an innate need and, and it's especially important today. You, know, you look around you with uh, levels of depression um, at, at an uh, all-time high, levels of anxiety at an all-time high, at least since we started measuring reliably. And um, and what we need the science of happiness for is as a social vaccine. You know, it doesn't prevent uh, sadness or, or, or anger or frustration, uh, but it, it can certainly help in difficult times, as well, of mm-hmm. course, in, in, in good times but even more so in difficult times. Yeah, exactly. And I think I think we've all had a, a, a lot of difficult times recently, and that's, that's why there's a demand, I think, especially with the pandemic, uh, I guess, for a search for happiness. So first things 
first, let's start and delve into what positive psychology even means, because this is something that you discuss a lot. Yes, so positive psychology is the science of happiness. And um, if I had to give a simple definition for this field, it's about focusing on what works. So traditional psychology uh, historically has focused on, on problems, on issues, on, uh, on psychopathology, on weaknesses, whereas positive psychology focuses on strength, on things that are working, and it begins with a full glass of the part and then extends to the rest. So positive psychology is not ignoring the problems. It simply says, let's start with what is working and build on that. Yes, exactly. And and what exactly are these, um, what can we build on? What, what are these universal pillars of happiness? What can we be aspiring for? Yeah, it's. Um, I'm, I'm glad you used the word aspiring because <laughs> my, my model of happiness includes the acronym SPIRE. Yeah. Um, and uh, these are the, the five elements of happiness. Uh, the first one is spiritual well-being, the S of Spire. Spiritual well-being is about, uh, could be, of course, about religion for people, but it doesn't have to be. It can be about a sense of meaning and purpose. It can be about a sense of presence, about being mindful, uh, spiritual well-being. Then there is physical well-being. That's about nutrition and about exercise, uh, about uh, rest and recovery, and so on. Uh, the eye of Spire is uh, about intellectual well-being. Uh, it's about asking questions. You know, for example, that um, research recently came out showing that people who are curious, who ask questions, uh, who are lifelong learners, are not just more successful, they're not just happier, they actually live longer. So, you know, curiosity may kill the cat, but uh, it helps us live longer. Uh, then there is a relational well-being, number one predictor of happiness, quality time we spend with people we care about and who care about us. Uh, and the final element of Spire is uh, emotional well-being. Mm. And that's, of course, about uh, learning to deal with painful emotions, such as sadness, such as anxiety. Uh, as well as cultivating pleasurable emotions like uh, joy, gratitude, and love. I mean, they're wonderful if you can get all of those uh, pillars together all at the same time. But of course, life isn't that straightforward and simple. And thankfully, a lot of our listeners want to learn, which is why they're listening. So we've got that mm. one covered, <laughs> which, which is great. But you mentioned at the end, I think the thing that really sticks with me is learning how to regulate our emotions and how to respond and cope uh, with different situations. And I think that's very difficult for people because I don't think we're taught we're taught how to do that at home or at school. Well, it depends on, on parenting for a lot of people. So what would be your advice really for people that want to nail all of these different pillars? What, what can they start doing? Yeah, so, you know, you talk about learning. The first step is unlearning okay. what we have been taught because what we've been taught, uh, again, traditionally is, uh, you know, to put on a brave face, to be tough, uh, let, let me begin with uh, some what I think is is quite radical research um, when it comes to painful emotions, and and that that's around grief. So you know people who have lost someone dear to them uh, essentially can be divided into two groups in in terms of their responses. The first group is tough. You know they put on this uh, uh, brave face. They um, 
they, um, they they continue they they plug on and of course the chorus around them says wow that's wonderful you're strong you're 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 getting over it well done uh, the second group uh, of responses that they, they break down they experience hardships and difficulties and they cry and they talk about it and the chorus around them very often is very concerned uh, because they don't seem to 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 have things together um, but interestingly, you fast forward a year or even six months or two years, and what you find is that the second group, by and large, is doing a lot better. Mm. So yes, they broke down. They experienced the, their pain. Uh, we were concerned about them. They're doing a lot better uh, on average than the, um, than the first group who seemed to be doing so well right off the bat. Why? Because the first step to happiness is allowing in unhappiness. What we need to do, first of all, is give ourselves the permission to be human, the permission to experience the full range of human emotions, whether it's sorrow and sadness, whether it's uh, anger or frustration, and not just in extreme situations such as uh, uh, subsequent to a loss. It's in the day-to-day when we experience um, a challenge at work, when we have a, an argument or a conflict with, uh, with, with a friend or, or a partner, we need to give ourselves the permission to be human. We need to embrace rather than reject painful emotions as a first step. Which is a wonderful first step, I think, to think about. And it's perhaps this is why these conversations we're having now are so important because I don't feel society is actually supportive of the person number two. I feel like society expects everybody to blank everything out, like you said, we have to unlearn and not show any sort of negative emotion or show any sort of sadness. Um, you've mentioned anger there as well. And I, I think emotions that are looked at so negatively, aren't they? So there's a societal shift that has to happen here as well in order for us to all become happier, which is, is, yeah. what, is what it sounds like to me. Uh, it, it, it's exactly that. And the societal shift has to come through our expectations, through our behaviors, even through our language. Let me begin with the, with the latter. You know, what do we call these emotions like sadness or, or, or anger or frustration? We call them negative emotions. Mm. So there's a value judgment right there. And the word we, we ought to use is uh, painful emotions as opposed to pleasurable emotions. You know, it's, it's not negative. We don't talk about the law of gravity as um, the negative law. Why? Because, uh, you know, it's, it's part of nature. It simply is. It's not good or bad. In the same way, emotions are not negative or positive. They're painful and pleasurable. Um, so that, that's the first shift that mm -hmm. needs to, to, to happen because words do matter. You know, words create worlds, concepts conceive, and, um, and therefore we need to, to be more cognizant of, uh, of what we say. But it's not just the language. It's also, you know, social media, you know, really wonderful mm -hmm. and, and, and has opened so many, you know, doors and opportunities for us. And also... Um, extremely stressful because when, when, I, when I get on social media, what do I see? I see that everyone is doing great. You know, even during this pandemic, which is a really a, a, a tough situation, it's, it's, it's a global trauma on, on so many levels. Even there, 
people are doing well. People are learning how to bake. They're suddenly so much closer to their loved ones, using this as an opportunity for, for intimacy. Everyone is doing great except for me. Now, when I, when I see that, I don't want to be the only one to, who's not doing well. So I post similar messages that I'm doing great, contributing to the great deception that is mm -hmm. largely responsible for the great depression. Because um, what, what, what's happening when, when I ignore or suppress or reject painful emotions, the paradox strikes. And that is that painful emotions uh, just intensify, grow stronger. Gosh, um, my head is filled now with everything that has to change in the world. But it's a very, very difficult shift to start because like you said, with social media and um, the language that's heavily ingrained in society, this is where we need you and we need these conversations because surely there's also, so let's just shift from the fact that there's obviously a societal issue here, yeah. but on a on a human level with what's actually going Good. on inside our bodies. Um, there are neurotransmitters involved here, aren't there? So, you know, signaling and things that tell yeah. us when, when we're happy and when we're sad. Do we have any control over those? Um, we, we, we absolutely do. So, uh, you know, we started with a problem. Now let's talk about the solution. Uh, because, uh, you know, mo most of us are, um, are unlikely to, you know, to radically change the way people speak or to transform social media. So, you know, that, that, that's a given. Um, but what can we do? We can, there are hope. We can hope, Tal. You never know. <laughs> First of all, hope is important. You know, the, yeah. the difference between sadness and depression is that depression is sadness without hope. So sadness is a natural human emotion. We all experience it daily. Um, but it becomes depression when we lose hope. Uh, so hope is important. Besides hope, or how can we become more hopeful? Well, here, here's one way to do it, um, or three ways rather. One way is to, uh, to shed a tear, to cry, because what are we doing when we're crying? We're expressing rather than suppressing emotion. Um, and um, there's research showing that when we cry, we are releasing um, oxytocin. That's the love hormone, so it makes us feel uh, all good inside. We also release opiates. These are calming drugs naturally occurring through shedding tears. Uh, so it's no coincidence that we feel so much better after a good cry, you know, even that we have the phrase, a good cry. Yeah. Um, so that's one. Two, talking about it. You know, how is it that we go into a, a session with a therapist or a counselor or a coach and we come out 50 minutes later feeling so much better just by talking about it? Because what are we doing? We're expressing rather than suppressing uh, our emotions or whatever is weighing on us. Uh, also talking to our best friend, uh, simply being with someone whom we trust, who we care about and who cares about us and uh, talking about what we feel. That's a form of giving ourselves the permission to be human. And uh, finally, writing. There's a lot of research by uh, people like Jamie, Benny, uh, Jamie Pennybaker, uh, Laura King, and others on the uh, showing the value of, uh, of journaling, of writing, expressing when it comes to our emotions rather than suppressing. 
Absolutely. Um, journaling is something actually that we've discussed a lot on the podcast before that a lot of people have found very beneficial. And I love that you mentioned, you know, have a good cry because it's true. Once we allow these emotions to be released, um, I think it's just an understanding of what happens and knowing that we do release certain factors that can help with our mood that will help our listeners so much knowing that we do have an element of control. We just have to embrace how we're feeling at, at that time and place. I mean, could you tell us a bit about the Happiness Academy? Um, Cause it just sounds incredible and what makes it so special? You know, so um, the Happiness Studies Academy was actually founded at, le at least in my mind five years ago. I was uh, on a transatlantic flight, actually from from London to uh, to New York City, and um, it, you know if, if you've done those flights, you know that you, you get to a stage where you're so exhausted, um, mm -hmm. but uh, too too uncomfortable to fall asleep. So I was in one of those states. Uh, gave myself the permission to be human to to experience it, and then a question came to mind, and the question was, how is it? that there is a field of study for uh, psychology, which had been my field for uh, a couple of decades, um, for philosophy, for history, for medicine, biology, education, law, uh, you name it. But there is no field of study for happiness. So yeah, there is positive psychology, which is what I had been doing, but that's just the psychology of happiness. What about what philosophers had to say about happiness? like? Uh, like uh, Lao Tzu and Aristotle and John Stuart Mill. What about what uh, um, uh, the great authors had to say about happiness, whether it's uh, Marianne Evans or, or, or Shakespeare or Chinua Kebe? What about what neuroscience has to say about, ha has to say about happiness and, 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 and biology and, and economics and history? And I resolved on that flight to um, to create a field or to help create a field of happiness studies that integrates all these disciplines mm -hmm. and together to bear light on what is the good life, what is, what is happiness as philosophers, psychologists, uh, as film, as neuroscientists define it. And the Happiness Studies Academy was the, the brainchild of this uh, of this question and what we do there we have uh, right now we have a, a certificate program a year-long certificate program that looks at the different disciplines and asks how can we become happier how can we help others become happier and uh, hopefully later this year we're launching the first master's degree in happiness wow. studies uh, around this wow that's so exciting um because yeah why don't we learn this it's such an interesting thing we should be learning how to be happy and i'm so pleased that you your your long-haul flight enabled you to come <laughs> up with <laughs> come up with this concept because i think a lot of people listening will be thinking well how do you define happiness then what is the true meaning and purpose to happiness because surely this is going to look different to everybody um it, it, it's exactly right and you know I, I always emphasize to my students that um there are about eight billion legitimate definitions or more of, of yeah. happiness. Oh. Um, so there is no right definition. You know, it's not mm. like the definition that we teach at the Happiness Studies Academy. That's the, the only one or the, the ones that, that, that I propose are far from it. However, however, it is important to define it and it is important to draw on the research 
around happiness and it's important to draw on the wisdom of the great thinkers from 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 dif from different eras and from different places around the world and together create your own picture of happiness your own uh, what what is it for you mm. that um that, that will help you become happier and how can you have the tools to help others do the same Absolutely. And I guess um, when you mentioned to help others, I think relationships, like you said, you did touch on them, of course, being one of the pillars, the fact that we need interaction sometimes. And that's just just human human nature. But would you say that's one of the biggest contributors to happiness? You know, uh, no, I would ways. say no, I would say that it's the biggest contributor oh, to happiness. You know, uh, and, and you see it on, on so many levels in, in research. So, so let me begin with, uh, um, the, you know, the by now very famous Harvard study, which followed uh, Harvard graduates as well as people from the surrounding community for 75 years. So that's th this started in the 1930s. Um, so researchers and their intellectual children and grandchildren followed these um, these individuals and after 75 years having collected quite literally millions and millions of data points they looked at it all and they said okay so what is the number one predictor of happiness across lifespan and the answer was definitive it was relationships now the interesting thing is that it didn't matter which relationships for some people it was the romantic partner of 50 years or 20 years for others it was their family or extended family then there were those for whom it was friends then there were those for whom it was colleagues it actually didn't matter as long as they had supportive relationships in their lives not perfect supportive relationships with people they cared about and who cared about them number one predictor of happiness now interestingly in that same research they also asked now what is the number one predictor of physical health and again looking at millions and millions of data points what did they find they found relationships as the number one predictor it's not it's not that other things didn't matter of course nutrition matters of course uh, physical exercise matters but the number one predictor, relationships. Mm, yeah, it doesn't, and you know, it doesn't surprise me. It's, it's so good to have, obviously, the studies and the data, but I do feel, um, obviously, from someone that isn't qualified like you in this area, this is a complete um, observational thing that I'm sure a lot of people are picking mm. up on, that with the pandemic and the social isolation, and the lack of strong relationships, or for people that perhaps um, are living alone, um, I just think it's really taken a huge toll on people's mental health and of course their happiness over the past few years and this is where I want to raise the technology question a little bit more because I wonder if the invention of technology, obviously we've said it does have some perks, but is it really good for our happiness? Is this an unknown area? Do we need years of data here or do you think we're going into some kind of strange scary rabbit hole here yeah so un unfortunately um uh, we have pl well we have plenty of data that unfortunately shows that we're not uh, we're, we're not going the right direction mm. um in, in in any way right now so uh, let me share with you one uh, one study okay. which is again one of many but it's uh, it's it's as troubling as many others. Um, 
so this is by Jean Twangy. She's uh, from uh, San Diego University. And what she does and what her colleagues do is they follow uh, the mental health of teenagers and they look at uh, teenagers. This was done in the US. The exact same study was replicated or not exact, but very similar study with the exact same results that was replicated in the UK. Um, so they follow teenagers and every five years they do an extensive study looking at the mental health levels of teenagers in the United States. And every five years, what they see is you know, levels go 1% up, 1% down, but it's, it's basically been very stable over, uh, over a number of decades until this time around. This time around, what they found among other uh, outcomes is that levels of depression have uh, gone up by over 30%. Uh, similarly, levels of loneliness have gone up and uh, suicide rates went up by over 30% among teenagers. Now, uh, Jean Twenge and her colleagues uh, combed through the, the, the data to, to try to figure out why this radical spike in depression, loneliness, which are of course connected, and, um, and, and suicide. And what they found was one thing, and I quote, it is the ascendance of the smartphone. The mm. ascendance of the smartphone, when, when, when youth became glued to yeah. that technology and through that to social media. Number one addiction today among mm. the young and the old. It's no longer alcohol or drugs or, uh, or gambling. Number one uh, addiction today is technology, wow. mostly facilitated, not only, but mostly facilitated through the smartphone. And, and specifically, it's three areas. It's um, social media, uh -huh. it's uh, pornography, yeah. and games. Yeah, yeah th th uh... this is tragic. And, um, and, and again, there are so many upsides to, uh, to technology, uh, to, you know, social media. You know, I, I was just... I actually just recently met a friend of mine and um, we, we, we grew up together and then our parents moved to different countries and we lost touch at the age of 12. Mm. Um, now I'm, I'm 51 today. That's almost 40 years ago. We had not been in touch. And thanks to social media, we, we, we got together. Wow. So, you know, there, there are many wonderful, you know, my, my sister met her husband, uh, you know, through a, uh, yeah. You know, one of those online dating, and, and they're happily married. They were one of the first couple to meet on, uh, you know, the, over 20 years ago. It's, mm. it, it can be wonderful, but it also has a dark side, and we're not managing that dark side. Well, this is just it, and I think um, the biggest thing that came into my head when you said that statistic, especially about the youth and the suicide rates rising, is that we've got questions from our listeners for you today as well, because I'm aware on uh, we don't have as much time today to chat, but one of them I really resonated with, Tal, and it's because I'm a mum, I'm pregnant at the moment, I've got my second child on the way, and mm. Victoria says, I'm a mum and I'm worried about my children's mental health, given today's society, what are good practices to use at home to keep them happier? So, I mean, I'm thinking straight away to jump on to Victoria's question. Good. What do we it's, do? Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's such, a, it's such an important question. And again, you know, I'm, 
we have three children and th these are obviously yeah. things that we're, we're concerned about as well yeah. so a couple of things first thing there is no other way but to limit um, social media or technology in general yeah um so you know decide whether you decide for you know an hour or or, or 90 minutes a day but limit it because uh, otherwise, you know, the children have no chance. We have no chance. They're very, very smart people, smart adults, um, technology geniuses who are there working with uh, a unified aim. And that is to keep you on for as long as possible because um, th they need your eyeballs. You know, they need you there because that's how they may, you know, it's not, it's not really free social media. You're paying. You're paying with your uh, with your attention, and uh, you know we many of us have have, have watched the social dilemma, and um, it it really is uh, an an issue. So don't rely on their uh, goodwill. Don't even rely on their or your self discipline. Rather rely on very strict rules and rituals. You know, mm. an hour or an hour and a half a day. Off, you know, yeah, by all means, play video games, you know, watch, uh, w watch TV. These are, you know, great. Uh, be, be with your friends on social media in moderation. So that's, uh, that, that's the first thing. Um, and, you know, there are many people who come out and say, well, you know, let the kids, you know, develop uh, um, um, organically and let them learn how to, you know, control their time on social media. They are... Uh, up against people who are older, more mature, know a lot more about psychology and technology than they do. And, and they, we don't have a chance. You know, think about it. W what is the first thing that most people turn to in the morning? You know, even people who, you know, who are in a relationship, they don't turn to their lovely partner. They usually, more often than not, turn to their smartphone. Mm. On, on, on their side. Why? To make sure that the world has not come to an end or, or that they have not won the lottery uh, because, the, you know, they don't want to miss those things. You know, it's okay to, to, you know, to put it away from us. You know, if we were uh, alcoholics, we wouldn't put a, a bottle of our favorite drink right next to us in bed. We'd keep it away from us mm. uh, as much as possible if we wanted to get over that addiction, of course. Yeah. And yet we keep the smartphone up close um, and personal. Um, so that's the first thing. But, but that's just not what not to do. What do you do? You know, I'm a huge fan of, uh, of sports um, for, for so many reasons. One, because, you know, exercising regularly has the same effect on our psychological well-being as our most powerful psychiatric medication. Brilliant. Three times a week, 30 minutes each time, works just like um, our, our, our psychiatric drugs. It works in the same way, releasing norepinephrine, serotonin, and dopamine, the feel-good chemicals in the brain. You know, with our children, you know, they had been on Zoom for the past, uh, uh, for the past two years, yeah. uh, mostly on Zoom. And um, I, I never asked them over the past two years, or before for that matter, how they were doing in school, you know, academically. If they wanted, they told me or showed me. If there was a problem, the teacher called. Um, but every day, I would make sure, absolutely make sure, that they got their uh, exercise. Yes. Whether it was, you know, playing ball or dancing or, uh, or walking or doing exercises with us. Because I know the research on what it does for the young, what it does for the uh, adult population, what it does for the elderly. 
indispensable for a healthy life, indispensable for a happy life. Hmm. Absolutely. And it's free. I think that's the best thing about exercise. And it doesn't have to be. There's this big misconception. It's just, oh, you have to go to a gym or you have to attend some rigorous um form of exercise but it can just be getting out in the garden for some, some people that enjoy looking after their garden um i love that you you embrace that and it's such a nice way to kind of um i think look at the world as well because i'm sure that if you look at different countries in the world and if you could share with us you know the data is there one country over another that has a healthier way of living, not just because of their diet, but maybe, like you said, exercise and social media. Yeah, um, so there is, before I go there, I just wanna say one more um, thing about, about about exercise. Yeah. Or, or generally about sports. You know, the, the, the great thing about sports is that, you know, we love it, kids love mm. it. So, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, dance or, or football or, uh, or, um, or just going out for a walk in nature, wh whatever does it for you. It doesn't matter. Find your low low hanging fruit. Find your most pleasurable activity. Mm. Help your kids do the same. Uh, yeah. By the way, through sports, they also get very often their their social fix. Yes. Um, because you know they play on teams or they play with a partner, and um, as as I mentioned, that's the number one predictor of happiness. Now going to national levels of happiness. Um, because that also has to do with relationship, it turns out. The happiest countries in the world are countries like, um, you know, Denmark and, uh, and, and, um, and Colombia mm -hmm. and Israel and Australia. Uh, why these countries are not others? You know, why not uh, the US or the UK or <laughs> Germany? Or why mm -hmm. not the uh, Asian miracle, you know, Singapore and, and Korea? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Well, when, when they once again combed through the, the data on national level of happiness, they found one variable that determined the happiness of a country, and that's social support. Once again, relationships. Mm. Um, these are countries where relationships are a priority, and again, it could be family relationships or it could be friendships. You know, Take Denmark, for example. 93% of Danes are members of social clubs it could, and active members. It could be, you know, church, it could be your uh, yacht club, sports club, or it could be mahjong. It really doesn't matter. But they're active members of social clubs. In countries like, you know, Israel and Colombia, who have their fair share of political challenges. Yes. In these countries, relationships, family and friendships are a priority. Yeah, which is, it just seems like you said, um, when you said, why not in the UK or the US? And straight away, well, straight away in my head was like, of course it's not the UK. Because yeah, I think we've really lost connection with 
how to maintain relationships, family interactions, all these sorts of um, wholesome aspects of society in a way. So it's really interesting to hear that. Now I'm going to move forward to take one more listener question before we do our fact or fiction round for you today, Tal, if you don't mind. Um, Please. I think the one that would be best, or with so many to pick from, pressure, uh, (laughs) I would say, let's go with Henry's question. So Henry has said, depression runs in my family. Can I easily swerve this with your happiness tips? Mm. Um, So first of all, easily, no. There is, for for so many of us, there is a double standard when it comes to uh, to happiness that we think okay so we can listen to a to a, to a podcast or a lecture or read a book on happiness and and then we'll become happier mm-hmm. uh, well that's a double standard because we would never think that about learning a new sport or uh, or uh, becoming a better uh, musician a pianist no yeah you can read the theory understand the theory but then you have to practice it's the same with happiness. Uh, we need yeah. to introduce happiness practices into our lives, whether it's regular ritualized uh, exercise, whether it's regular ritualized uh, expression of gratitude, whether it's writing our uh, writing in our journal on a regular basis, whether it's uh, meditation uh, or whatever it is. So first of all, it takes practice, just like every mm-hmm. other skill takes practice. Second, genes do matter. So what we inherit from our, you know, our parents, from our our ancestors, does affect us. It affects us to a to to a great extent sometimes. At the same time, what also affects us to a great extent always are our choices. What we do, whether it's on the micro level, do I express gratitude? Do I exercise? Or the macro level. Uh, what what um, what work do I choose? Where do I spend most of my waking hours? Is it something that's personally meaningful? Again, not perfect, but overall meaningful to me. Um, who um, who do I choose to spend my time with? Who are my friends? Um, are they people who who support me? Uh, who's who, who's my partner? Is it a person I can talk to? Um, is it someone I can uh, uh, laugh with? Or is is um, is uh, being with them meaningful to me? So these are all important questions to ask. And more importantly, um, what do we actually choose to do with the answers that we get? No. Not, not, not easy. You know, ha- happiness is, uh, is, uh, is work and it's hard work. Mm. But you know, also when we find our dream job, the reason we, why we continue or potentially continue to enjoy it for, for years to come is not because we just put our legs up on, on, the, on our desk and say, I've found it. It's because mm-hmm. we put effort, time uh, into it. And it's the same with our relationships. We need to put time and effort into it. And it's the same with happiness. Mm. It's the practices that we introduce into our lives that matter most. Oh, I love that. Thank you. It's so true. It's the hard work. It's the graft. It's the... the yeah desire to learn and further our knowledge like you said at the start learning and the happiness academy uh, let's go on to our fact or fiction round very quickly while i've still Please. got you because this is going to be i think a bit tricky actually <laughs> <laughs> um from our discussion so far if you could answer fact or fiction tile to the following questions 
Okay, here we go. Achieving your goals will always make you fulfilled. False. Laughter therapy is a good medicine cure for sadness. Yes, often. The more you have, the happier you will be. False. Food can impact your mood and productivity. True. Sleep is inextricably linked to our overall happiness. (laughs) True. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Um, Looking at your first thing in the morning is key for contentment. It's one of the keys. One of the keys. I love that. As you become older, your happiness levels will drop. Absolutely false. On average, the old, uh, as we age, we become happier or become more accepting. Excellent. Um, what our mood is, is always our choice. False. It's sometimes our choice. Ooh. Brisk walking is the best form of exercise for releasing feel-good hormones. It's a great form of exercise. Actually, research-wise, dance is the best form of exercise. Mm. But any exercise will do. <laughs> that must be because of the music as well, surely. It's the music. It's, it's often, sometimes, social. We usually smile or even laugh when yeah. we dance. So it, it, yeah. it's, it, it, you, you get a lot, a, a great bang for your buck. Brilliant. And finally, <laughs> virtual relationships could negatively impact health. In moderation, they can actually help. But if we substitute real or in-person relationships for virtual relationships, then yes, they will have a negative impact. Amazing. What a great fact or fiction round. So concise. (laughs) There's so much I wish we had time to delve into there because... That does wrap up our episode and we always finish with a food for thought. And I think mine today to start would be, goodness me, it's a learning journey and we are unique. And of course, like you said at the beginning, there are billions of different um, classifications of what could help you feel or make you feel happy. We've got genetic influences, external influences. But what I'm going to really take away from this, and I hope my listeners, is that we do have the power to invest in our relationships and to really perhaps start journaling, writing down some little goals each day. I mean, from learning from Tal and have a read of his book and just really think of what positive changes, perhaps it's limiting your time on your phone and trying to exercise more. But I could waffle forever. Tal, what would be your take-home message, your food for thought today? Yeah. Um, Pick one or two things that you want to introduce, not three and not 30, one or two things that you want to introduce into your life and and just do it. Uh, Practice them, exercise them. And when you feel that they're integrated, that they are a habit, a ritual, just like brushing your teeth is, then you can move on to the next one or two practices. But start small, start with the ideal, with the low-hanging fruit, things that are easy for you. Practice them regularly as a ritual, and that will bring about lasting change in your life. Oh, Tal, that's incredible. I think everyone's going to leave this episode with so many, um, literally, food for thoughts there. Um, Where could our listeners go to find out more, to get your book, to just learn more in general about happiness? Well, my website is uh, talbenshahar, that's one word, dot com. And there, there is uh, access to our uh, Happiness Studies Academy, uh, to the books and to other programs. Brilliant. 
Carl, thank you so much for being such a wonderful guest on Food for Thought. Thank you for having me. If you've all enjoyed Food for Thought, you're going to love what's coming up. We've got so many amazing episodes. So if you're not already, make sure you subscribe because that way it will just pop up and tell you it's ready for you to listen to every single Monday. And it would be brilliant if you have time to leave a review. I know now and understand that these reviews of how you feel the podcast goes or if you learn anything from it can help other people reach it and hopefully they'll be able to take a lot away from it too. So for more information about my best-selling book, The Science of Nutrition, The Retrition Clinic, if you want to book in and get some advice, healthy recipes, and so much more, please go and visit retrition.com. And I really can't wait to share this with you. Retrition Plus is finally here, my new supplements company that puts science to work for your well-being. Finally, we offer folic acid sprays, vitamin D sprays, and a vegan multivitamin. So just head over to retritionplus.com and you can follow me at retrition on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook and YouTube.